Welcome, potties and gladys, to episode number five of Reflective Contemplations, the modern version of a political fireside chat. And today I want to talk to you about, you guessed it, polls. We're just two weeks away from presidential election, not even a fortnight, and the polls are just all over the place. At the moment, you can expect four polls to be published every day in the lead up to November the 3rd. Journalists love them, politicians obsess about them, and the public craze the polls too. But do they matter? What do they tell us about the race and how do they compare to 2016? In this episode, I'm going to chat about my own thinking as it evolved as far as polling is concerned. And let me first of all draw your attention to a fantastic news site. I'm talking, of course, about 538.com which has featured on my blog as well a couple of times. I've been observing the site for four years and good American political journalism is rare these days, but you can find it. You just have to look for it. It's the crown jewel of American political journalism. Let me first of all tell you a bit about the history of this site because it's really worth it. In 2008, Nate Silver, the editor-in-chief, he's a polling expert, founded this site and it became an integral part of the New York Times. It was later sold to a sports uh, website and then again changed ownership as it was sold on to ABC News, uh, which is, as we all know, part of Disney. But the reporting of the site has been consistent, and that's really the great thing, and has certainly revolutionized my own thinking on polls. Let me first of all take you back to 2016. As we all know, the polls were pretty much on Clinton's side. She had a healthy seven-point lead in the national polls, and even in the likely swing states, she was well ahead of Trump. As we know, things didn't work out that way. Trump lost the popular vote, but the swing states went to him. And so he won the Electoral College and became president. And as the rules, even the most antiquated and anti-democratic rules, apply equally to all candidates, I think it's fair to say he won fair and squarely. But the model that was out there in 2016 and uh, 538 and its editor-in-chief Nate Silver have referred to this model a couple of times was very similar to the model that is now um, up. So at the time, Clinton was given an 88% chance of winning the White House. At the moment, Biden has something, has a chance of winning between 86 and 88%. Are the polls similar? What has changed in 2020? Well, let me first of all say that national polls in the US are a good indicator for national mood, but it is pretty useless as far as the election itself is concerned. Now, national polls have been around since 1936. They have become more sophisticated in the 1970s, especially in the 1970s, and today they are published all over the place without giving much credence to the small print, and that is, I think, the great strength of 538. They do their own aggregated modeling, they do polls themselves, and of course, they analyze nationwide polls and state-by-state -state polls as well. Now, essentially, the point here is this. The state polls are not very sophisticated at all. The national polls are pretty decent. As I said before, there are quite a few out there each and every day. 
But the horse race is published in such a way that little attention is given to the fine print, and that matters. Now, let me go back to 2016 again. Now, Clinton had a healthy lead. She lost the swing states. But then, if you actually look at the polls, let's say she had a 7% point lead in the polls over the last couple of weeks prior to the election itself. You had movement in the polls a bit up for Trump by approximately 3%, and you had a healthy margin of error of 3%. So if you factor in this movement, then the result is hardly surprising, keeping in mind as well that the pollsters were correct. Clinton won the popular vote, but the, the polls conducted in the swing states were just not very good. Given the challenges that pollsters face these days, I find it also extraordinary, I have to tell you, dear listener, that uh, uh, pollsters are being vilified all the time. Because if you look at the margin of error, then the polls are very often correct. I can give you a few examples in just a second. And then co that compares very favorable to 2020. Now, of course, especially journalists, pundits, reporters, and the news media, cable news especially, made out the culprit. The pollsters got it wrong. They didn't see it coming. Well, not true at all. There, were, there was a polling error. You almost have in all opinion polls a healthy margin of error, 2 to 3%. That's something you should always factor in. Let me give you an example. I mean, when I was younger, I was quite obsessed with polls as well. You know, I, I, I think I would, have, I would have made a pretty good, uh, decent party hack if I had... Um, if I had uh, joined a political party at the time. I remember very well in 1998, uh, the German election, there was one poll coming out just three days prior to election day, and it had the uh, Social Democrats at 39%, the Christian Democratic Union and Socialist Union at 37 As we remember, on election day, it was Social Democracy almost 41%, the Union 34%, approximately. So... The 2 to 3% polling error again came into play. There was no surprise at all. A very uh, decent example as well I, I want to share with you here is, of course, from my favorite country, um, Australia. In 2007, we had the uh, Kevin 07 campaign, Kevin Rudd uh, challenging uh, John Howard. Now, prior to election day, um, there was an interesting meeting recalled by one political correspondent of the Sydney Morning Herald. And he had this to say. The Labour Party campaign manager, Tim Gattrell, who, by the way, is, is, a, is a very sophisticated operator and currently chief of staff to opposition leader Albanese, um, met his uh, coalition counterpart in the lobby. And they had a little talk. And of course, they're both pros and, you know, they're operatives and they play the game and they, they had a friendly chat. And they agreed on one thing. For one of the party leaders, it's going to be a rude awakening. And one of them will wonder, how did the pollsters get it all so wrong? There's nothing wrong with the pollsters, mind you. Rudd was ahead, but it was all clearly in the margin of error. Since since 1970s, Australian elections have been incredibly close. So this is another example where, you know, you can't, you can't make the pollsters responsible uh, for a very inaccurate or for very inaccurate interpretations of their findings. And that's exactly what happened there as well. Now, let's go to this election. I said in the beginning that the model is very similar to 2016. 
Now, the trifactor modeling undertaken by 538.com suggests the following. Biden has a chance of winning the White House between 86 to 88%. The Democrats have a chance to hold on to the, uh, to the House of Representatives by 96%. And they have a chance to win back the Senate 70 to 73%. Now, polls deal in probabilities. And this is important here because even if you credit Trump with only having a 12 to 14 percent chance of winning the White House, there's a path. There's always a path. Now, if you look at the swing states and you have a lead, of, uh, let's say in Pennsylvania, for example, Biden's currently at 51 percent. The big difference to 2016 is that in this election, Trump cannot rely on the undecided voters. This is to say with one-fifth of, of the uh, population having voted already, that in this instance, you would, have a, you would have actual movement. So you would have Democratic voters going back to Trump. Is that possible? Is it possible that a polling error will lead to another upset on November the 3rd? Of course it's possible. Is it likely? Well, 14 to 12% but it's possible, but very unlikely. Also, the pollsters have learned quite a bit, especially as far as polling in the swing states is concerned. They now give much more weight to um, the question of education. So I don't think in those polls they will have underestimated Trump. Now, Republican pollsters will tell you that there will be a big movement on election day to Trump. To what extent that's likely? I mean, I haven't seen any evidence for that, but we're going to have to wait and see. But to make up with a strong pro-democratic vote in uh, pre-ballot voting, um, I, I find it very, very hard to, to buy into that notion. But um, maybe I'm in for a surprise again on November 3rd. Who knows? But at the moment, I would say, you know, don't write Trump off, but his chances of winning again are very unlikely. Very, very unlikely. And those of you who also obsess about polls still, I really, I really invite you to check out 538.com. They have also won a few prizes for their reporting over the last couple of years, and it will really change your view on polls. And um, let me also draw your attention to another scholar who has written on the subject. Uh, Dan Casino is, a, is, a, is an American scholar who has written a few books which... Um, you know, are worth, worth quoting here as well, but I'm going to come back to that point in just a minute. But he has written a great piece in the Harvard Business Review, How American Polling Works. And that, you have to understand that pollsters today face enormous problems. It starts with having a proper randomized sample. That's the essential thing about polls. You have to have a proper randomized sample. So let's say... In the pre-internet era, although polling has changed very little, in the pre-internet era, you would have polls by phone. This is still the preferred method, uh, landline phones that are being called. And then you would have, let's say you call, you want to have a sample of 800 people, right? So then you call and you're going to have to approximately call two and a half thousand people. It's not cheap. Telephone polling is not cheap. Today, because of mobile phones, the internet, social media, the game has become much, much more difficult. 
So today you would probably have to, well, at least as, as Dan Casino estimates in this article, you would probably have to call at least seven, seven, approximately 7,500 people to get an 800 sample. Now then, assuming you get a proper randomized sample, then you're going to have the next problem. And the next problem is you have to wait. Let's say you get a sample. And in the sample, you have 6% African-Americans. Let's say that 12% of the population, that's very basic here. You know, I just try to get across the point I want to make. So that, let's say you have 6% African-Americans in your sample, then you have to wait. And wait is waiting polls is, uh, is very controversial. There is no agreement among pollsters about how to weight uh, certain categories. What are you going to weight? Population, gender, um, education, and how you're going to do it, to what extent. And that, of course, leads inevitably to polling errors. And this has become even, this has become even more difficult thanks to the internet. So, you know, when you read all these polls, please keep in mind, they are just trends. They are trends worth observing, but they are not in any way giving you an accurate uh, prediction as to the final result. They should, and so the media tries to sell it, especially as far as the horse race is concerned, as you well know, but that's not what polls do. Polls only do deal in probabilities. That's all there is to it. And you know, there was uh, 538.com has a very good podcast, which I will link to on my blog as well. And in this podcast, you know, Nate Silver said he has a, he has a neighbor, he's a good friend of his, and he, he came to him and he said, well, you know, you must tell me now whether Trump is going to win or lose. I said, mate, I don't know more than you do. All we know is that Trump has a 12 to 14% chance of winning the election. That's all he can tell you. There's no certainty. And a 12 to 14% chance is real. It's not to be underestimated. The same obviously goes for the Senate. Well, the House is a bit less likely, but nothing is impossible. So take the polls, take the polls with a, a grain of salt. And, um, you know, I, I just wanted to sort of use this little, little podcast prior to election night um, to give you a better understanding of polls and to point you to a few sources that are really worth checking out. Now, before I go, I must tell you something as well about Dan Casino, because I said he wrote a couple of uh, great books. I'm going to link to one of those books. As you know, it's getting colder in the Northern Hemisphere. We've got more time to be at home, especially with all the COVID uh, panic going on. So cozy up on your sofa and read his fascinating book on Fox News. Um, that is really great. You know, he because in a way he disputes the notion that we all live in echo chambers on the internet and he analyzes, it's, it's, it's a very profound analysis of how and why Fox News has become such, a, such an important player in American politics. So that's a read I would, I would, really, um, I would really recommend if you've got a bit of time in, on your hands, you know, just get yourself that, that lovely cup of coffee or glass of wine and then you know, uh, go on a little adventurous uh, mission with Den Casino and, and check that out. It's a great read and I might do another episode on this one too. 
you know, that's, that's what I recommend for you. Now, it's time for me to go. It was not that long today. That's all I have to say about polls. And, you know, as I, I like talking. So before I talk too much, I better leave it there. I'm going to have to stock up on all the coffee and tobacco so that on election night, I'm going to be up and running. Um, if you want to know anything about decent coverage of the election in the American media, I can tell you what I do. I usually switch between the BBC World Service, National Public Radio, C-SPAN, and of course the live blogs offered by Politico. And I suppose 538 is going to have a live blog up and running as well. That's what I'm going to do. And then I will share my own perspective on, on that really fascinating um, election night that we are all in store for, um, you know, once, once we know how it went. And we might have, especially if the election is very close, especially in some swing states, be prepared to do a lot of reading on, on, on uh, legal issues because we're going to have a lot of litigation probably. So I still cannot see a, that, that Nong that is currently sitting in the White House conceding the election, even if he loses comprehensively. I, I just can't see that happening. But, well, you know, maybe for once uh, the Donald surprises even me. Good folks, that's it from me. I hope you have a lovely week. Stay healthy and speak to you soon. Bye bye.